All right. Good morning, everybody. If you're in the foyer, whatever that's called over there, I'm going to invite you to come on in. And as I walked in the room this morning, I just felt this sense of anticipation for a celebration. Because the cool thing is, is we get to come together and we get to celebrate the King of Kings. We get to celebrate the one who created everything. We get to celebrate the one who knows every detail about our lives and is intricately weaving a tapestry. And so we're just going to jump right in. So if you want to stand up, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we get to celebrate you and who you are. God, we thank you that we get to come together as a church family, as, a, as the body of Christ, and, and have community with each other and have community with you. And so, God, we just invite you to have your way, and we say, come today, have your way, as we celebrate, as we, as we bless who you are, and as we worship you, God. So come and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Chris, you ready? I'm ready. Well, that was an exciting morning. Bear with me today. I'm fighting something, so I'm hoping my voice will last throughout the service. Uh, anybody have just one of those weeks? Right? Yeah, anybody have that before, right, David? Just one of those weeks where you just feel like, you know, anything that can go wrong is going to go wrong. You know, it was interesting last Sunday, Pastor Mark shared that our freezer, you know, unthawed, and uh, we had an issue last Sunday morning. Well, that was just, you know, the end of all the other issues, right? You know, as Jen and I were sitting in the house last week, all of a sudden Jen comes out to me and says, I can hear dripping in the walls. Yeah, exactly, right? And I'm like, what? You know, and I'm thinking, no, there's nothing going on, right? And so I come into the bedroom and I'm trying to listen, you know, and think, nah. I just decide to look up at the ceiling, and sure enough, I can see actual water coming through the ceiling and coming down the wall, right? And so you see this, and you're thinking, what else can go wrong? And I go up in my attic, and there's frost everywhere, right? Yeah, anybody had that one happen before? Right, yeah, I know, Cam and Teresa, right? So you have these moments and these times where things happen, right? And sure enough, I get sick, you know, the day before. I'm coming to speak here today, right? And something happens, but... It was funny because last Sunday when I came to church, and I just want to speak this over everybody. As I was coming to church last Sunday, it was really hard for me to disengage from all the stuff that was going on. I'm all of a sudden thinking about how much is this going to cost me? This is going to be two or three grand. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. My head got stuck in a realm. Anybody get there where your head just gets stuck in that realm, right? And I'm coming to church, and I'm trying to shift my thinking to honor the Lord. And I just simply said this little thing inside my vehicle, and I'm just, Lord, what do I do about all this? And was, his response was, you can laugh about it. Honestly, I was sitting in my car, and I heard the Lord say, you can laugh about this. And I'm like, I'm not laughing. <laughs> I'm not laughing at all. And then the Lord's, but you know you can, right? Every issue that you have right now, you know all that stuff. It doesn't go that far. It's just your house. It's just your ceiling. It's just your walls. It's all stuff that can be fixed. It's all stuff that can be repaired. Colds go away. You can buy more meat. (laughs) Jen says, kill more deer. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, sorry. I am a hunter, all right? Yes, it's true. You can, right? But let me tell you something, church, right? I just felt like I want to encourage you today is regardless of where you're at in your journey right now, you can laugh in the face of the enemy. At some of this, I know it doesn't seem like it, but we can laugh because God has it under control. Amen? He does. Father, I just pray right now for everybody in this house. God, you see what's going on in everybody's lives. You see the situations. You see the stuff. You see the broken freezers. You see the attic issues. You see all the stuff, the car problems, the money problems. You see the stuff. And Father, right now in Jesus' name, I just pray that we would laugh about it. We lift it up to you. We give it to you. And we say you are bigger than all that stuff. Father, we're not going to allow it to consume our minds and our hearts. We're going to lay it down at the altar. And we're going to say, God, you are good. Can we say that this morning real quick? You are good. I mean, we just saw some amazing stuff taking place here at our altar. Right? Anybody, God healed you? Like, did God heal anybody? Like, yeah, right there. Not today, but God has healed you. Anybody else that God actually touched you and healed you too? Yeah, okay, Chad, we've got some. I'm telling you what Paul said. We really want to hear this because it builds faith in the body. Right? When we actually get to that place, like Pastor Steve was talking last week about being in the kingdom, we actually can walk in this all the time. The problem is, is most of the time we're not walking in that. Right? What an amazing last two Sundays, wouldn't you agree? You know, interesting how God works, because two weeks ago, Pastor Mark talks about holiness. Draw close to the Father, and he will draw close to you. Be holy, because I am holy. Man, as we draw close to the Father, everything begins to shift and begins to change in our heart. It begins to transform us from the inside out. And I mean, Pastor Steve comes in and says the next step, right? We lay these things down. Whether it's smoking, whether it's, you know, whatever the addiction is, sport, it doesn't matter what it is. Lord, we lay these things down. I was praying quite a bit into today, and the Lord uh, burst something on my heart a while ago. And last time I spoke, I, I talked to you a little bit about, I believe there were four areas that the God was going to expand in the church. And he was going to build our capacity up, and one of them was discipleship. And today I'm actually going to expand on that a bit. And last time I was here, I I said this too. I said, you know, sometimes I think we need to change some of these Christian terms and words. Because as soon as I say discipleship, I'm not sure where your head goes. But our head goes to a lot of places. Right? And sometimes those places aren't good. It's like discipleship, that's work. I don't even know exactly what that means. Right? It's one of those words and... I was just feeling today as I was praying, the Lord said, here's what it comes down to. There is a cry right now, and I feel it from the Father's heart. I'm telling you, I've felt this this whole week. And the cry is this, that the Father is looking for spiritual mothers and fathers. This is the cry. What is discipleship? It's spiritual mothers and fathers. Oh. Man, can you feel that? That's his heart's cry. I'm going to share something with you that might seem weird. Is that okay? It's weird. It's really weird. I, I talked to Jen. I'm like, I don't even know if I should share, share this because it's, it's weird. 
you know, but how many of you are dreamers? Lots of dreamers. Wow. How many of you are like me? I actually don't remember my dreams very often. Lots of people, right? How many of you know, though, the difference between a dream and all of a sudden you have a dream that you know there's some significance to it, right? God does that, right? All of a sudden there's significance to that dream. And I've had that happen in my life a few times. Right? One of them was in Africa when I was there. I had a night where I actually couldn't sleep. I actually felt like I was transported to another nation. When I woke up, I had no clue where I was. I had to look out the window, and I realized, okay, I'm, I'm in Africa. But I had a dream that night, and I'm telling you, I'm not going to share that whole dream. But that dream, I wrote every part of it down, and all I'll say is this, is every part of that dream came to fruition. Why? Because it was a kingdom dream from God. And so God gives us kingdom dreams, and sometimes he gives us weird kingdom dreams. So I had a really basic dream, and here it is. I have this dream that I feel like I was in the church, but I couldn't tell if I was at church or at home, because for some reason my two cats were in this dream, right? I don't know, maybe it's just Jen's influence, right? She loves these cats, Anyways, as I am just standing there, I feel like God's just doing something, and I don't know what he's doing, and I feel like I'm almost just standing by myself. And as I'm standing there, all of a sudden, I just felt like I was supposed to take my hands and open my hands up like this, right? So I take my hands in the stream, and I just open my hands like this, and all of a sudden, I look down, and here's where it gets weird. All of a sudden, something that didn't exist existed, What existed? It was a blue chicken. Anybody think it's getting weird? I'm serious. All of a sudden I look down and it's a baby blue chicken. And I'm thinking, why is there a baby blue chicken in my hand? Right? And this thing pops onto the floor and it's pouncing around and I look over and I see my cats who do absolutely nothing. They just watch this blue chick right? It is weird. Thank you, David. I know it is weird, right? But you know the difference between a dream and a God dream because you can feel something different, right? And in my dream, I actually can remember the moment. There is something about this that's important, and I couldn't put my finger on it. And I remember in my dream asking the Lord, what is this? What is going on? And I remember taking the chicken, and now I am for sure at the church, Because I walk into my office, and as I walk into my office, I just find this box, and I put this little blue chicken in the box. That's it. That's the dream. And I pondered on it. I told Jim, I don't know why. I just can't get rid of this dream because I feel like it's from God. And so I do what a lot of people do, right? I'm looking up online. What is the significance of a blue chicken? (laughs) Do you know that there are blue chickens? Yes, there are blue chicken. In fact, the blue chicken is the state bird of Delaware, apparently. I've learned a lot this weekend. Some of it are useless facts. But one of the things that a blue chicken means is it's a warrior. And it's a fighter. I thought, that's interesting. And then as I looked up, the second thing that popped up, when I put in a blue chicken, this is what popped up. All right? This one. How often I would have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered her chickens under her wings. 
There you go. The cry for spiritual mothers and fathers. Can I read you something else, actually? Let me see if I can find it. I actually read this, and it was really impacting to me. Let me just read this. It said, Christ chose the common chicken for his metaphor because of the hen's selfless devotion to its chicks. This person, whoever it is, some pike is the name of the author, explained that a chicken is almost defenseless, yet it will never abandon its offspring when danger arises. (laughs) It also is an active mother and will gather its offsprings together to protect them. If necessary, it will shield its little chicks with its own body, offering itself to preserve their lives. To the hen, its chicks are valued greatly. It actively will call to them. Perhaps the most important point about the chicks is the meta- in this metaphor is what is assumed. These chickens obey instinct. They come to their mother. This means that when the hen calls, they come without hesitation, without delay, and without question. They run to safety that is only found underneath their mother's wings. Isn't that amazing? I feel like today that God wants to shift something in this house but not only in this house, in this community. I feel like today he wants to rise us up to become mothers and fathers in this house. He wants to take us to a new level in our journey, right? So I read a book this week, and while I'm reading this book, I read this story. Anybody know that God has a design for everything, right? God has a design. And some of us, I think we're a little nervous, a little scared, even in our world, You know, when we read the Bible, people get a little nervous of the Bible because of certain things it says, right? And I'm not talking about Christians. I'm talking about non-Christians. Sometimes they look at the Bible as hate literature. I look at the Bible as a manual, right? It shows you how to use this very thing, this temple, right? Because there is a design. And so I read this story, and I realized God has such an amazing design, even for creation, right? So I want to tell you a little bit about an issue that took place in South Africa, all right? I'm going to try to get this story all right. I hope I do. But not that long ago, there were about 39 white rhinos. And these 39 white rhinos were found dead in South Africa. Now, white wine rhinos are an endangered species. And so the automatic assumption of what happened to these white rhinos was that poachers got a hold of them and shot them, right? But when they found the white rhinos, they found something unique. They all had their horns still, which meant this was not poachers. Poachers did not do this. So what they decided to do is they would tranquilize a couple of these white rhinos, and after they tranked them, right, they put some, uh, you know, tracking devices on them. And once they did that, they started putting some cameras in the area to see if they could figure out what had happened. And so they were shocked at what they found. They found out that a bunch of white elephants, younger bulls, in groups, were chasing after these white rhinos in long distances. They were throwing things at these white rhinos, and then they were stomping them to death which is not normal behavior. So here's the issue. They find out that 20 years before this, right? 20 years before that, the elephant population had grown to, it was out of control. So what they decided to do was to take some of the oldest bull elephants 
and relocate them. So they took these elephants to other reserves, and they actually even killed probably about 10 to 20 of these mature bull elephants. They figured out their problem. Is these young bulls did not have mentors. These young bulls did not have people raising them up the way they should go. These young bulls actually had to begin to learn how to live on their own. And they started to adopt careless behavior, behavior that wasn't normal for an elephant. So they asked themselves, what do we do with these elephants? And so one of the guys comes up with an idea. Let's bring back some of the bulls, the more mature ones. So they bring back a number of these bulls back to the community. Right? After they bring these bulls back, they begin to monitor it. And after they monitor it, you know how many white rhinos died? Zero. Zero. Why? Because these young bulls all of a sudden became, they came underneath the leadership of these older bulls. These older bulls came back, right? They set the stage. They disciplined where they needed to discipline. They walked with them where they needed to walk with them. They led them the way they needed to be led. At first, they put up a little bit of a fight, but it didn't take long, and they realized something. These young bulls actually enjoyed being fathered. They actually enjoyed being mentored. They wanted to be within the family. They wanted to be within the group. I watch that and I think, man, creation's amazing. What happens when we don't have mothers and fathers? And God cares about this so much. You know, I know if we go into the Bible, I'm not going to go into this all the way, but I'm going to be jumping all over a bit, you guys, so hopefully uh, you can keep with me. If not, it's okay. But if we were to jump into 1 Samuel chapter 2, I'm I'm not going to read it all. But I know we know how important it is for us to be good mothers and fathers. I mean, in chapter 2, the Lord actually is very angry at Eli because Eli didn't raise his sons up the right way. He's so angry at them, right? He actually even calls his sons wicked at one point. These are wicked kids, right? Let me just read a couple of scriptures. You know, in verse 12, it says, Now the sons of Eli were scoundrels who had no respect for the Lord or for their duties as priests. We skip up a little bit to uh, verse 20, part B. It says, Why do you honor your sons more than me? For you and they have become fat from the best offerings of my people. We skip down to 31B. It says, All the members of your family will die before their time. None will live to the ripe old age. And verse 34 says, And to prove that what I have said will come true, I will cause your two sons to die. Then I will raise up a faithful priest who will serve me and will do what I tell him to do. You know, we get to see the heart of God, and all of a sudden, if we flip a little further in the Bible, one of the most, you know, uh, passages we all recognize is out of Malachi 4. Right? And when we go to Malachi 4, it says this, Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah. Before the, great and f- before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives, his preaching will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of their children to their parents. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Anybody read the church feed here the last couple days? Murray actually put this on there. And apparently, you know, one of the nights, you know, he actually prayed against this curse 
right, which is really, really powerful. But I, I want to read this to you again because I think it's very important for us to understand the heart of God towards the mothers and the fathers, right? Again, he says, his preaching will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. This is the heart of God and how much he wants to see the hearts of the fathers return to this land. Yes, he's talking about biological kids, but yes, he's talking about spiritual kids. Do you know how many spiritual orphans we have today? Spiritual orphans are everywhere, and they're not just outside the church. They're in our churches, unfortunately, because we haven't become mothers and fathers. We see this. Let's flip over to the New Testament. If we go into 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul in this chapter is actually talking to the church of Corinth and he's actually, he's kind of annoyed at them and he's admonishing them for some of their behavior. Let me just read a little bit of it. I'm on uh, verse eight. It says, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you, you would become kings. Now he's being a little sarcastic. How I wish you were really kings so that we might be kings with you. For it seems to me that God has displayed us apostles at the ends of the procession, like prisoners appointed to death. We have become a spectacle to the whole world, to angels as well as to men. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, but we are dishonored. To this very hour, we are hungry and thirsty. We are poor. We are poorly clothed. We are brutally treated, and we are homeless." If we flip over to verse 18, it says this, some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly, if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only what these arrogant people are saying, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Which do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod, or in love, and with a gentle spirit? I want to go to verse 14 because this is the key to this entire chapter to me. Because to me, this is potentially the issue with our communities and with our churches. And this is the cry of the Father. Paul says in verse 8, he says this, already you have, or sorry, in verse 14, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my beloved children Even if you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. That is why I have sent to you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you of my ways of life in Christ Jesus, which is exactly what I teach everywhere and in every church. It's a powerful scripture. It's a common thing that we see throughout history is that even in the churches, the people can become arrogant, the people can become focused on themselves. And eventually there is a lack of fathering and mothering. How many of you had a toy train when you were a kid? Let me have a toy train, right? Those toy trains were pretty fun, but there was always an issue when they went around the corners. As soon as these toy trains went around the corners, all of a sudden they'd fall off the tracks, right? 
So what did we have to do? We had to reach our hands down and we had to pick those trains up and we had to put them back on the tracks, right? This is the call of the church to reach down, to pick up those ones that fall off track. Let's flip over to Philemon. If we flip over to Philemon, Paul is in jail at this time, and we want to talk about one of his spiritual sons. And his spiritual son is Onesimus. Right? Let me read this to you. I'm in verse 8. It says, Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is, it is as none other than Paul an older man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. This is Paul's spiritual son. At one point he declares he's useless, but he decided to walk with him, to pour into him, to become a father to him, right? And because he chose to be a father to him, everything shifted. This is an important verse. Verse 12 says this. It says, I am sending him, listen to this next part, who is my very heart. Can I read that again? I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. He fell in love with them. He cared for them. Can I give you three big things about being spiritual fathers and mothers? Number one is this. Initiate relationship. Paul initiated relationship. Number two is be in the relationship. Build a bond. Paul built a bond with him to the point that it was his entire heart. And the third one is to release him. And we see that because that's exactly what Paul did with Timothy, his adopted son, right? Is he released him to the church of Corinthian. Father, teach us how to become mothers and fathers. If we go to verse 17, it says this. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If, you have, if, if, he, has done, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. So when we read the word, we see the significance of spiritual mothers and fathers. How many in here have someone that you consider a spiritual mother or father? All right, that might be maybe half the house. Maybe half the house. Most of you know I teach the Heroes Program. And one of the chapters in the Heroes Program, we talk about friendships and people in our life. And three of the things I ask him is, you know, we all have acquaintances in our our life. We all have buddies in our life. And how many change friends do we have in our life? How How many of us have people we can actually talk to about the stuff going on in our hearts? Do you want to know what the answer is? It's probably like 5% of the classes. 5% of the kids have these change people in their lives, right? These are spiritually void individuals. Yet when we ask in the church, even in this church today, 50% did not put their hand up to say that they have a spiritual mother or father in their life. Which tells me this, this is why I'm preaching this message. Because we need to have spiritual mothers and fathers in our lives. You know, I was thinking back to 
my journey and how important spiritual fathers were to me. I can remember when I first got saved in this church at the age of 17 years old. Again, I got saved right here. And after I got saved, right, the first thing I started to hear, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but the first thing I actually heard was pretty much the riot list of what you do not do now. Right? Anybody heard the riot list as a kid when you were in church? Right? This is what you do not do. You don't dance. Right? You don't swear. Right, everybody? You don't dance. You don't swear. You don't listen to rock music. Right? What else was on that list? You don't smoke. You don't drink. You don't go to movies. Where's the other one? I'm just seeing if anybody has a hat on right now. There's a few of you, right, Michael? Right? I heard that one quite a bit, too. You don't wear a hat in church, right? You take that hat off. Now, I'm not, I'm not speaking against honor, and I'm not speaking against purity. Don't get me wrong. Right? I'm not speaking against any of that. But again, as a new person in the faith, the first thing I hear is what I should not be doing. With zero relationship. What did I do? I just put my hand up. I mean... Right after I got saved, I actually didn't start coming to church right away. I didn't come to church at all. I actually started to find, man, I don't really like this place. There's so many rules, right? No one really wants to get to know me, but they sure want to tell me what to do. I remember going through this when I first got saved. And then a good friend of mine, Jason Ray, Rick Ray's here somewhere, his son. You know, he was uh, dating somebody at that time, and her name was Tangi Dorsch, now Shields. Some of you know her and Jason Shields. And I used to go over to their house with them. Does anybody know who Fred Dorsch is? Yes. Yeah. Fred Dorsch just passed away two months ago. Um, Fred, not many people know this, but uh, when I first got saved, you know, I remember sitting at a table. Oh, this was another thing you shouldn't do, and we were doing it. You weren't supposed to play cards, right? You weren't supposed to play cards either. But Fred always played cards. So we'd sit at that table and we'd play cards. You know what Fred would do? He'd talk to me about Jesus the entire time. The entire time. He'd talk to me about church. He'd talk to me about not forsaking the assembly of the saints. He would talk to me about forgiveness. He would talk to me about all these things, and all of a sudden something started to shift in me where I didn't put my hand up so high to the church anymore because someone chose to father me in the moment. And then I started coming to this church, and then another person by the name of Archie Binney. All of us know Archie Binney? Archie Binney was not a pastor at this church at that time. He was working in the trades. And our youth pastor had just resigned, and Archie said, I'll step in and I'll help out until we get a new youth pastor. Archie Binney, to this day, is one of my spiritual fathers because he chose not just to tell me what to do. He chose to show me what to do. He chose to walk with me. He chose to build relationship with me. He chose to get past his insecurities, his fears, and all that stuff. And he said, I'm going to walk with this person. And he began to show me what it meant to be a child of God. Then he introduced me to somebody that most of you don't know, but I think some of you will know him. Anybody remember a guy by the name of Ross Brown? Ross Brown was my youth pastor. Right? And Ross was that guy. I'm telling you, that guy would just sit down and talk with me for hours and hours and hours and hours. He would invite me into his home.
He would talk to me about the things of God. He'd give me a place of leadership. He'd allow me to do things. He would allow me to make mistakes. He would teach me. He would say, Chris, you did this wrong or you did this wrong, but he would teach me and he would walk with me. And I remember as I got a little bit older in the faith and stuff like that, I started to make a a silly decision. Rick and Della remind me of this all the time. (laughs) I met a girl. You know, girls can sometimes have an effect on you. Not necessarily good effects sometimes too, right? And so at this time, it wasn't Jen Bannis. This girl was a Mormon, right? And I started dating this Mormon girl. I mean, she loved Jesus, but she also loved Joseph Smith, right? There were some issues there. But I mean, I actually started to really get close to this individual, and I started to get a little confused about my journey. Not that I was going to become a Mormon. I just didn't know how to go forward in this. And I remember many people in the church at that time told me I was going to go to hell. (laughs) I'm serious. You keep dating her, you're going to go to hell. You need to break up with her, right? Well, I'm so thankful to God because God just showed me one day. He just said to me one day, you know this isn't going to work, right? I said, I know. He said, all right, you just got to end it. I'm like, easier said than done. And I remember one day I I finally ended it. I came back to church here, and they had an altar call that Sunday. And I walked to the front for the altar call. And I'll never forget this. I actually thought about this three nights ago, and I started crying in my bed. I remember walking up to the front, got down on my hands and knees, and I just repented to God. And someone put their arms around me. And I just turned my head, and it was Ross Brown. And Ross looked at me, and he didn't say, I told you so. He said, I've just been waiting for this moment. I've been waiting for this moment, Chris. And he just started weeping and weeping and weeping. To this day, Ross Brown is one of my spiritual fathers. I am standing here today, I'm going to tell you this, because there were spiritual mothers and fathers in the church. They chose to rise up to that position. They chose to rise up to that spot. They didn't allow life to hold them back. They didn't allow the busyness of the world to keep them from pouring in to that next generation. I'm telling you, folks, we will have spiritual orphans in our churches. We will have spiritual orphans in our communities. We will have spiritual orphans in our schools. We will have spiritual orphans in our workplaces because spiritual orphans are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s as well. We will have spiritual orphans all over the place until we become mothers and fathers. I just want to read you four scriptures real quick, right? First, I'll say this. Church is not an event we go to, right? It's a family we belong to. Amen? Sometimes we get it in our head. This is an event. We do this for, this is a family we belong to. And this is what family does. Romans 12, 2 says this. It says, to love one another with brotherly affection. In fact, outdo one another in showing honor. That's a beautiful scripture. That's Romans 12, 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. You know, there's a documentary that aired on TV quite a while ago now, but it actually was called To Hell With Manners. Because we live in a culture today where honor is not a thing that is really practice how many of you still open the door for your wife 
Right? There's some of you. That's awesome, right? Like five, five guys. Not saying anything because I didn't open the door for my wife this morning either. <laughs> but let me tell you something, man. We do live in a culture where there's not a lot of honor. How many of you have read the book Culture of Honor? Right? I'm going to tell you, if you haven't read it, read it. Because this is part of this. As we raise the next generation, we want to raise a culture of honor within our children. They will not learn honor if we don't teach it to them. We're just expecting people to learn things that we're not willing to teach them. We're not willing to guide them. We're not willing to give up our time to be with them. And I'm not just talking again about your physical kids, about those spiritual orphans that are in our churches. Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That's part of our call as a family. As mothers and fathers, as we spur one another on. We're constantly encouraging each other. Galatians 6.10 says this, So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Right now in this room, especially to the ones in this room, is can we look behind us? Can we look around the room? Can we see people we know we need to begin to walk with? Oh, God, place that on our hearts. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says this. It says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Oh, Lord. What do spiritual mothers and fathers do? I'm going to quickly try to give you seven things because the first one to me is the most important one. Is the first thing they do is spiritual mothers and fathers spend time with Jesus themselves. I mean, if we read Acts 4.13, it says, Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them of having been with Jesus. This is the one thing we all want, right? Whether it's for good or for bad, because in this case it wasn't all for good, right? We want people when they see us to realize this. I know Cam's been with Jesus. I know Derek's been with Jesus. I can tell just by walking with him. I know Curtis has been with Jesus. I want to get closer to this man because he's walking with Jesus. To be a spiritual mother and father, it's not about coming to church on Sunday. It's about what Mark said about holiness. Draw close to the Father and he will draw close to you. And the byproduct of that is we begin to become those spiritual mothers and fathers. Two, they set a good example. Three, they are good role models. Four, they recognize and call out potential. Right? They see it. They're not threatened by them. Let's not be threatened by our sons and our daughters. Let's call out their potential. In fact, let's release them. Let's hope that they can go further than we have ever gone. Here's number five. Ready? They are available. Can I say that again? They are available. Again, in today's culture, right? We live in a culture where it's very much about ourselves. We're very focused on our situations. We're focused on everything going on in our lives. Spirituals and mothers and fathers, though, they make themselves available. But I can't. I don't have time. Well, we have to make time. We have to decide what's more important in our journeys is they make themselves available. Number six is they impart. They impart. 
Whatever you have, you can impart to somebody else. And if you're sitting here saying, I don't have much to impart, we'll get more. Spend more time with Jesus. You have a lot to impart. I just look around this room and I see people, you have so much already to impart. But we have to push against that very thing, that insecurity that pops in. I got nothing to offer. You got something to offer. Choose to be a mother and a father. Number seven is this, is they are vulnerable. This is what changed it for me, right? They just didn't tell me, don't do that, right? Don't do this, don't do that. No, 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 no. That's the one thing I'll never forget about Ross Brown is he would always tell me about his mistakes. He would tell me about his journey. He'd tell me about what he did and how he got through it and how I could get over it as well. They're willing to not seem perfect because we're not. They're willing to share those stories that you're not necessarily thrilled about because you all have them. They're vulnerable. So to me, I feel like God is just saying to our body, are we willing to rise up to this place? Are we willing to rise up to become mothers and fathers to the next generation? Are we willing to rise up and become mothers and fathers in a sense to each other? When I look around the room, I think we are the solution. We are the answer to everything going on in our world. But we have to get into that place where we actually have a heart for our world. Right? So God, would you show us your heart today? I asked the Lord, how do we actually finish this up, God? What do we do in this moment? Because do we just lay hands on each other's heads and just say, become a father in Jesus' name? Right? Is that what we do? That's part of what we do, isn't it? This is a moment where I'm asking the Holy Spirit just to come into the house. Holy Spirit, just guide us right now. Holy Spirit, would you just lead us right now? When we read your word, we know this is important to you. This is a battle right now, Father. You know, next week we have a guy coming in to speak on marriages. We need to become mothers and fathers over that next generation, these young couples in our church. Can we know marriages are breaking down all over the place? I believe it's because of the lack of mothering and fathering. If those mothers and fathers rose up, it began to shift. Father, show us right now. I'm not asking him just to show me. I'm asking him to show you. God, show us what this looks like right now. Just close your eyes right now. Let's see if the Holy Spirit will minister to you and speak to you. I believe he will. Holy Spirit, could you show us? (laughs) Show us what it looks like to truly be a mother and a father in the house. God, place a desire within us, just like Paul had to Anisimus, where his heart was woven with his heart. God, I pray that you would begin to weave our hearts with one another in this room as brothers and sisters. Father, that where we are quick to judge, I pray that we would lay that down. And that all of a sudden, Father, we'd be the ones saying, no, I want to show them how to do this. I'm going to walk with them. 
I want to pick up that train that fell off the tracks today. I'm going to put that train back on the tracks. God, show us how to do this. Father, where some of us have mindsets, we think, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. Father, I do pray right now in Jesus' name that you take those mindsets away. Father, I pray that you would transform our minds, that you would transform our way of thinking, that you would transform our thought life. Father, some of us are saying right now, I don't even think about this stuff. Father, transform our minds where we do think about this stuff. Where, Father, we shift. We shift in our attitudes and our hearts. The thing on our value list begin to change today. Father, that our heart will start to break for that generation we often just look at and throw stones at. Father, today we're putting the stones down and we're going to go grab them by the hands. We're going to teach them. We're going to walk with them. We're going to encourage them. We're going to love them. We're going to pour into them. We're going to put aside those things that take up our time that are meaningless. Jesus, show us right now. Show us right now. How do we do this? I just hear the Lord saying, if you want to be a spiritual father, you got to have kids. If you want to be a spiritual father or mother, you got to have kids. Father, today I want to release the spirit of sonship in the house. The number one attribute that Chris listed was someone who spends time with the father. And the reason why it's important that we know how to be sons and daughters is because apple trees produce apples. Orange trees produce oranges. Orphan trees produce orphans. But those who walk in sonship, those are the ones who learn to be mothers and fathers. They learn to honor those who have gone before. On Friday morning, I was able to witness the spirit of sonship come from Jenna as she interceded for spiritual mothers and fathers who had gone before. She had a heart for them because they weren't perfect, but she had a heart to intercede for mothers and fathers. That is the spirit of sonship. So Father, release the spirit of sonship in us that we would know how to be sons and daughters, that we would know what it is to stand under a father, that we would know what it is to understand a father. I just think we need to linger here for a moment the path to fathering and mothering is the crucifix- crucifixion of the orphan spirit in each one of us. We were actually, in some sense, abandoned from heaven when we were put on earth. We have to be reunited with the Father, but the way to do that is through the crucifix, crucifix- the death. All right, the death of the orphan spirit. Sons reveal fathers and mothers reveal, or daughters reveal mothers. So, Father, I pray right now, God, that you would make it so uncomfortable for us when we're operating in an orphan spirit that you would reveal it to us. Catch us when we're operating in this spirit of an orphan. And, God, help us. Help us, Lord, to put it to death. To put it to death. 
And as we do this, God, I know that the prophetic word that I released over Alberta, which was God would turn Alberta on its head and many fathers and many mothers would come out of this province. Amen. You know, fathering and mothering has to do with the apostolic, that which goes before. And so I just want to bless those that are mothers and fathers. This is one of the key things that I've learned around fathering. Your toolbox doesn't need to be completely full. There's a father that has a toolbox that's completely full, a spiritual father. All we have to know is that there's at least one tool in our toolbox, and that's enough. That's part of the journey of fathering, so bless you. I just want to introduce, because one of my spiritual fathers is in this house, and you know him. This guy took me in his home. He took me in his home, and he modeled to me what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. I mean, he fed me. He taught me. I don't know how many times he tried to get all us boys in his living room to do a Bible study. Sometimes we just sat there and just wanted to get through it, and other times it just had an effect. And it started to shift things in our lives. I mean, he hasn't done this once. He's done this so much. This man here showed me Jesus. Did you, he said, I let you down lots of times too. No, he just disciplined me lots of times. And I didn't like that. But I needed it. Let me tell you something. This is a picture of what God does when we become spiritual mothers and fathers. I am standing here today because of the fathers in my life and that young generation the ones that aren't here it's because they they don't have this church today I'm asking us just to step up to a new place I'm asking us to step up to a new level I'm asking us just to say yes to the call I want to be a father in the faith I want to walk with Nathan right here I watch this young man who wants to go to Bible college and become a pastor. I want to walk with this young man. I want him to see what it is to follow Jesus. I'm committed to that, Nathan. There's so many in this place. Can we walk with one another? Can I ask you just to pray a prayer blessing over this body? Holy Spirit, we need you. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we need you. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Lord, I first want to confess the many times that I've failed in exactly what we're talking about. But the many opportunities I've had and still have, Lord, you you, uh, forgive and release and bring somebody else along. So, Lord, I repent for where I failed, but I also ask you to help me to walk in a way that would honor you. And as, as uh, you look over our, converse, our congregation right now and see our hearts, we all have in mind we want to reach out to you. We want to honor you. So, Lord, I just help you, ask you to help us hear your voice. So many voices we can listen to. We need to hear your voice. So I pray your blessing over moms and dads. And that doesn't matter what age we are. We can be moms and dads. So I just pray your blessing and your wholeness and your peace and your counsel over this.
this congregation and every one of us. Let your Holy Spirit come in Jesus' name. We speak the name of Jesus. Amen. Oh, there's so much grace in the room today to receive this anointing. There's so much grace for you to receive this anointing today. The reason why you can become a mother and a father is because the Lord is mothering and fathering you. He's doing that for you in ways that you can't even tell. And he's going to open your eyes to the ways that he's been mothering and fathering you. And there's grace for you to enter into that mothering and fathering. You know, I remember being so scared to be a mother in this church, being so intimidated by it, thinking that it was going to be such a heavy job. But, you know, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And I can stand as a mother today in the church because God has mothered me. The Holy Spirit has mothered me. And he's shown me what it means to love because he first loved me. Because he first loved me. When I was still his enemy, he loved me. Even in my flawed state, he still loves me. So there's grace for us today to mother and father. And I just feel like the very first thing that I want to pray is for where maybe our own mothers and fathers we have a perspective of what mothering and fathering looks like and it just feels limited because of the pain of having not been mothered and fathered well and so in Jesus name I just pray that you'd heal our hearts that you'd heal our hearts that you'd heal our hearts that you'd heal any pain from childhood that you just uh, um, you, you begin to shift our focus to you as the perfect father you as the perfect mother you as the perfect model that you're picking us up you're lifting us up in your hands and you're carrying us and, and you're loving us unconditionally and, and you're empowering us to love others well and so I thank you for that healing today in our hearts God you're the model you're the model you're the model And so in Jesus' name, I just pray that this anointing of mothering and fathering would fall on the people, that that they would just feel your love so immensely that it would be an overflow unto the people around them, that all of a sudden they just feel such a hunger to wrap their arms around people and pull them up out of the miry clay and encourage them and call out their gifts and their abilities and to be able to say, yes, yes, I'm walking with you. Yes, there is more. Yes, God is with you. Yes, God is for you. And so, Lord, we just open up our hands and we receive this anointing today and we just pray pour out your anointing God pour out your anointing God pour out your healing God pour out your healing that we may be mothers and fathers in this church do you know the thought came to my mind when Chris said about 50% of you have had mothers and fathers or you've had mentors spiritual mentors I have an idea why don't you mentor the 50% that didn't in this room why don't you do that that means we're all getting mothered and fathered. And then, once you've done that, let's mother and father this community. There is grace to do that. There is grace to do that. His grace is sufficient. We can walk in this anointing. There can be expansion for this anointing. Thank you, God, for your family, for your model of family. And we bless you, Lord. My prayer as a leader in this church is this. Is that if Paul were to walk through this church that he wouldn't say the very things he said to the church of Corinth. 
that there are no fathers amongst you. So Father, today, and if this is your commitment, I just want you to put your hand up. We are committed to standing as mothers and fathers. We are committed to the process. We are committed to learning. We're committed to come under where we need to. We're committed to lead where we need to. Today, Father, we commit to doing this. We commit to putting aside those things that get in the way. We commit to walk with one another. We commit to being available. We commit to love each other. We commit to placing our judgments down. Today, we commit to be family. In Jesus' name. Can we say amen? Amen.